Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. We lost an absolute giant this week. Ronnie Spector, lead singer of the Ronettes, the voice behind Be My Baby and a million other girl group classics, died at the age of 78. In a few minutes, I'm going to bring on Andy Green and Angie Martosio and Rob Sheffield to talk about Ronnie Spector's legacy. But first, I wanted to play some clips from an amazing interview with Ronnie Spector herself that our own Corey Groh did back in 2016. In this first clip, Ronnie Spector tells Corey Groh a little bit about where the Ronettes look came from. We lived in Spanish Harlem, born and raised, and I look at my grandmother's window and I see these black chicks walking with the cigarettes and the Puerto Rican girls with the eyeliner and the teased hair. That's what I want to look like. (laughs) And we just took ours, ours, whatever we saw out on the street, and brought it to the stage. Yeah. Little Chinese dresses slid up the side. You know, my only niece is half Chinese, so my sister, she's passed now, the Ronettes, yeah. her husband was Chinese. So we had all these different people in my family even. You know, my father was Irish, my mother is black and Indian. So we had my cousin Nedra of the Ronettes, yeah. his, her father was Spanish. So we had all these different yeah. mixtures and we brought that to the That's stage. Great. And yeah. the guys love that too. Yeah. They love that, that different look. Yeah. And we, that's one thing we had. We may have not been better than other groups, but we were certainly different. <laughs> we sang, we danced, we let our hair down. And this is really interesting. Here's Ronnie telling Corey Groh about her earliest vocal influence, which was Frankie Lyman of Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers. I just take my music yeah. so seriously, and yeah. I love music. When I first started out and I heard Frankie Lyman, Why the Fools Fall in Love, <gasps> That was it for me. That was the voice that pierced me. My grandmother used to yell at me, Veronica, you're going to go deaf because she had this big Philco radio and I put my ear right under it. You're going to go deaf, Veronica. I would go deaf for Frankie Lyman, you know what I mean? He had the greatest voice and I didn't know if he was a boy or a girl. <laughs> I just knew that I wanted to have that same sound. Yeah. And I, my parents, we would come from a very humble beginning in Spanish Harlem. Mm-hmm. They couldn't afford to send us to get guitar lessons or piano lessons. Yeah. So I put those records on. My sister would be, I'll never forget, in her room doing homework. I'd be in the living room with all of my records because that's how I learned how to sing. I don't know how to read music now. I don't know an instrument, but I know how to sing. Just give me a chord. Yeah. And I got that. But but I got that from the Frankie Lyman's, the students, uh, the schoolboys, all those great lead singer voices. Yeah. So when Corey did this interview, Ronnie Spector's ex-husband, Phil Spector, was locked up in prison for murder. And she couldn't help comparing it to the period when Phil essentially locked her up in their mansion. 
Everybody knows where he is. And I never knew what, what goes around, comes around, and all yeah. that until, you know, he went to prison. Then I knew what it meant. Because I'd been in prison in, in, in the mansion. I couldn't even get out and stuff. For seven years, I didn't go anywhere. I never saw a movie. I never did anything in California because everything was brought to me. So it brings me to now I can do everything. I can be in the recording studio. And if I make a mistake, it's like, like a big deal, you know. It's and amazing. He's, and he's pent up. What goes around, comes around. Yeah. I was in prison, now he is. So that's exactly. how I look at it. Yeah. But this was pretty amazing. Here's Ronnie Spector telling Corey Grow what she remembers about the making of Be My Baby. I, I don't think they wanted me to know how good I was. Mm -hmm. You know, the... the people other than Jack Mitchie, because Jack Mitchie was really the heart of Philly's records. Right. People always talk about Phil and production, which he was okay, but if you didn't have people like Jack Mitchie, Harry Nielsen, Glenn Camel, Hal Blaine, Earl Palmer, all those guys were on our records, yeah. and they didn't get excited till they heard my voice. <laughs> I remember going in there the next day after I had met Jack Mitchie the night before, he arranged that all, it took him all night to arrange Be My Baby. So when I got in the studio the next day, the guys were all quiet. I went in this side because I was in a booth, you know, in those days you have to be in a booth. Yeah. And they have to have a union man to come to make sure the artist is the right artist. So once they found all that out, then <clears throat> I never forget how it went. <clears throat> and I went in, the night we met. The whole, all the musicians, like they dropped their, their, whatever they were holding, you know, their <laughs> horns and their guitars, and they were looking at this new girl in town, and it was a big buzz about me, which I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I lived in New York. I'd never been that far away before, like California, mm -hmm. by myself, mm -hmm. without the two Ronettes. They came later. Yeah. What was more strange about it, I learned it in New York, because everybody lived in New York. The writers, Ellie Grinnins and Jeff yeah. Barry, Phil, they all lived in New York. Then I'm saying, well, when am I gonna be recording this song? I've had all night and a month to think about to sing. <laughs> then they call me and ship me all the way 3,000 miles to do Be My wow. Baby. And all the musicians were yelling and, oh my God, a voice. And I'm saying, me, you know, it's like a little girl <laughs> from Spanish Harlem. So from then on, it was like, I was so it was so great to be in the business and have a hit record and yeah. you know be amongst them. Yeah. Before we were like a part of it, but over there <laughs> in the big groups, so you know the Marvin Gaye's and Supremes, everybody yeah. was so big and Shirelles, and then we finally had a hit record. When you were there in that the vocal studio, and you first heard Hal Blaine do that, oh. and, then, and then you did. What was uh, it, that feeling? It, it, it was like um, I've gone to heaven. Because Hal Blaine would come in with that, like I said, the bump to bump. And then all of a sudden I'd come in, the night we, and it, yeah. it all fit. Yeah. It was like a puzzle. And once my voice was put on, it was, the, the puzzle was complete. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. So again, that was Corey Groh with the late, great Ronnie Spector. And now to talk a little bit about her life in music, I have Angie Martosio, Andy Green, and Rob Sheffield. Ronnie has this book. She wrote a, a great book called Be My Baby. After years of being out of print, it's coming back in print this May. And we've gotten to read it. And Rob, of course, read it when it first came out. It's such a great rock memoir. Bawdiness and hilarity and also tragedy. When she met Phil, she made it clear that he made it clear to her that there was this hole in the wall of sound he was trying to build. And that her voice was the final ingredient. It was the thing that he needed and he couldn't have done it without her. And then the the romantic relationship unfortunate as, as it was, sort of followed from that. Uh, yeah, I was struck by a few things about that, that she was surprised that Phil was so interested in her because she didn't have a gospel, like, pure voice in the same light as a Darlene Love, who's an amazingly, like, powerful singer. But Ronnie brought such attitude and sass to the way that she sang. Now, the Ronettes did exist before Phil Spector. One of the original names was Ronnie and the Relatives, which is the most dismissive name for the non-lead singers of a group that I've ever heard. They played bar mitzvahs. Then they started playing at the Peppermint Lounge. And they started playing at Murray the K's Rock and Roll Reviews at the Brooklyn Fox. I love those stories. I love how deeply she was entrenched in the early days of rock and roll, which, of course, included uh, eventually hanging out with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. But, Rob, maybe you can talk about just Ronnie as rock and roll singer ronnie as just this icon of, of rock and roll specifically well she just had the ultimate ferocious coming out of nowhere voice you know she sounded like an ordinary teenager because she was this production was totally built around her almost like a, a cathedral to her every detail was planned to to flatter her and it captured the yearning the, like the passion, the burning desire for an ordinary girl to be heard, which is what the song finally comes down to. It's never been a song about a boy. It was never about Phil Spector. It, I have a hard time believing Ronnie Spector ever sang this song or felt this way to a boy. As she talks about in the book, you know, she was possessed when she was young by the desire to be seen, to be heard, to be accepted. You know, she talks about how she was a cheerleader at her high school. And she was like, that wasn't enough for me to be the most popular girl in school. I needed to be the most popular girl in the world. And you can hear that, that like lust for power in Be My Baby. This is the voice of an ordinary girl from the streets of Spanish Harlem who is absolutely intent on making the whole world hear her and go, what the hell was that? And that's exactly what she did. And that song still has that impact on people. It's hard to think of anybody who could have just retired after one single. You know, if the only thing she ever did was Be My Baby, uh, she would still be the legend that she is today. Just because she put just such a performance into that voice that was absolute 
career's worth of, of intensity. Yeah, I was, when I was talking to Steve Van about her yesterday, I said the same thing and he agreed. And at the same time, I'm spending a lot of time today listening again to the rest of the Ronettes catalog and some of her solo stuff. She was also so much more than Be My Baby. And there's so many great Ronettes records from Baby I Love You. To Walking in the Rain. But you can't top Be My Baby. It's just her voice is so thrilling and it never was more thrilling than on that particular song. I, I want to talk about the Ronettes, their place within the pantheon of girl groups. They were more street. They were more sexy. For Ronnie, the Supremes were Las Vegas. They were just this kind of soft thing that had nothing to do with rock and roll. Angie, what do you make of, of them in the context of that particular sort of female rock and roll image of, of the 60s? If you think of the Supremes and being as like clean as they described, I would just put them in an angrier, cooler, almost like pre-punk perspective, especially considering like it was Rob actually who we discussed that the Beehives were angrier than anything, even the drummer of the Honeycombs. I read Rob that quote from years ago and he was like, that's wonderful, who wrote that? But it was him. But I think putting that place into that historical perspective, they were definitely just a lot of, I don't want to say before their time, but they're really stating their place long before anyone else was doing those kinds of things. Yeah, and so many of the Motown groups of the time were very carefully stylized and choreographed, and they went to finishing school. It was a very different thing. Whereas the Ronettes, they were self-styled, and Phil Spector was a lot less focused on their image and their look, and even having them have real like personalities that were known to the public. It gave them a freedom to really shape their image in a pretty unique way. What do we take away from the way that the Beatles and the Stones interacted with her and the Ronettes? It was this interesting mix of they were respected peers and also sort of desired <laughs> potential romantic companions, which is a really interesting, the mix was really interesting to me. I think... Uh... Their awe for her was was what defined it. We have lots of accounts of, of John Lennon's sexual confidence, which was not necessarily the biggest of his problems at that phase of his life. But he was scared of Ronnie. Who wouldn't be? She scared people. And I think like that's what defines their relationship more than anything. He was always in awe of her because she was a rock and roll hero. And that was always, you know, one of the biggest influences on the Beatles was girl groups. You know, John Lennon always talked about Rosie and the Originals, you know, Angel Baby as as the ultimate vocal that he was trying and failing to reach his whole career. Um, and the Ronettes, it was the same way. The Beatles were constantly imitating the Ronettes. John Lennon famously, the first time he was in New York for the Ed Sullivan show, what did he do his first night in New York? Did he go out and, and light up the town? No, he stayed in his hotel room listening to the radio because they didn't have radio stations back home in England. And what he did is call up radio stations and ask them to play the Ronettes. That's like to him, the American dream that he wanted to live out. And the Ronettes, they represented that musical intensity to, to the Beatles as, as they did to everybody else. 
Do we think that's possibly the only woman to ever turn John Lennon down? What she did say incredibly was they had made out a little bit once and then she kind of pushed him away. And then later in a different city, John tried again. And, and Ronnie literally said, you know, I kind of think of you more of as a brother. And I, I was thinking like, when's the last time any of the Beatles heard that? Incredible and a little bit sad is she was literally rejecting him in favor of Phil Spector, who she she really loved. She hadn't married him yet and hadn't fully seen the, the dark side. She found something boyish in him and... The, the dark side only, and I think that's one of the elements of sort of a horror story, at least in her book and the way she tells it in interviews, is the dark side slowly reveals itself, you know. And she was so trapped because it was not just her boyfriend and her husband. It was her boss in a lot of ways. It was the person who had complete control of her career, who could decide when she'd record and when she'd not record, if she got good songs or bad songs. So the power was just massive over her. It's crazy to realize, and I didn't really put this together, how brief the Ronette's commercial peak actually was. And in the book, she talks about how the second the Beatles broke in 1964, that that whole scene was almost dead. You know, that they had a few more hits, but the Beatles, you know, it's the tragic irony that's always talked about that. They destroyed so many of the groups that they revered. And she always respected the British Invasion, though. Didn't she do that whole album of covers? That was 2016, English Heart, which is such a great title for for her to call that album. Her version of I Would Just Rather Be With The Boys, you know, the famous, like, deep cut from The Stones. It's so different when it's, you know, a 70-something Ronnie Spector singing, I'd much rather be with the girls than to be with you. It's like, and it rocks so hard. It rocks much harder than the Stones version. I think it's one of the best Stones covers anybody's ever done. It's one of the many musical highlights of the last 20 years of her career. I didn't realize that there were songs like, there's a song, Paradise, that was a prime era Ronette song that Phil just didn't release. It didn't come out to like the 70s or late 60s on, on some compilations. So there was, there was great stuff that never even got a chance from the Ronettes. time is standing still And she felt that he was holding back songs so her fame, it would it would be limited and then reduced and then basically over so he'd have more control over her. Like he, he killed her career in a very purposeful way. It was creepy. There were a few creepy things. He called her, um, he called her Veronica, which no one else called her, that she was Ronnie. But under his roof, she was Veronica. When she w- went to his studio in L.A., which she was never allowed to go to, Someone let her in and she saw that there were old pictures of her everywhere. Her when she was, you know, at the prime of her stardom. And there she was in her in her mind, just a, a bored, increasingly drunk housewife. And, and the idea that he was the, the idolization of the past self in the pictures in the studio, but then trapped in the mansion in this new state was is pretty bizarre and creepy. And she was literally at times locked in the mansion it was you her, the the servants weren't allowed to open the doors without his permission so there are times when she was literally trapped in there and she's you know she started drinking because she was so bored and scared and the, and that's kind of what happened there and i was gonna say i mean it is true that he wasn't 
he wasn't technically physically abusive, although he did, when she left, he did threaten to kill her several times, which is pretty scary. But the, the sort of emotional abuse is pretty intense. Reading Mariah Carey's memoir, the similarities to her being locked in her mansion in some ways gave me the creeps, I have to say. That was disturbing. The bond that she had with Cher is one of the great little subplots. You can sort of imagine a buddy movie of, of her and Cher. That would be amazing. Cher now could play Cher in the 60s, no problem. But just the, the idea that they both were in such a similar situation. The story of the controlling, jealous male partner, manager, producer is unfortunately, it's one of those eternally recurring ones. Uh, we just keep seeing this again and again in rock and roll we stories. We see it again and again, but at least in her case, she was able to overcome that. She was supposed to have her 39th wedding anniversary, I think, this week with her husband, um, Ronnie. And so she was able to just like completely, not only professionally, but have a life outside of Phil and move on and become a happier person. Yeah, she literally, much like it is very similar to the Tina Turner story. Again, like the eternal recurrence, it's just, it's, it doesn't speak well for, for the male gender man it really doesn't like these, these stories are just they're, they're they're just so similar over and over again like i said but yes she very similarly although like phil was like insidious in ways that were different from the other guys he would he would render her literally barefoot like leave her make it so she didn't have access to shoes so it was very difficult for her to literally escape but she did eventually after a couple false false starts she did make an escape and make it to her lawyer's office she really dogged him until the day he went to jail that they had an endless lawsuit that was over royalties and then he wouldn't let her you know be he was the author of a lot of her songs if she wanted to play them on tv or something he'd say no i mean he did everything he could to 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 stifle her and he even blocked her from entering Hall of Fame for years and years and years. And she did make it. As she puts it, he was a little bit distracted being about to be hauled off to prison for murder. So she and the Runettes made it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And she also got, they also got a massive judgment in their favor for over $2 million. I mean, Rob, the thing was, she was a hero to so many people. And the people, and the people who worshipped her again and again punk rockers, Jersey Shore rockers stepped up. And that, that's not even including Eddie Money. And, and Eddie Money, meat and potatoes, radio rockers stepped up to help her because they loved her. And it, it happened again and again. And it's worth talking about the Jersey Shore connection because that was a big deal. What's hilarious is that the facts of it are all garbled. Everyone has a different version. Stephen Zant, in his book that came out last year, has one version. It turns out Ronnie's version has, has it wildly different. So basically, what Steve Van Zandt, little Stephen of the East Street Band and the Sopranos, for anyone who's confused, and... Ronnie agree upon is that they had a love affair in the 70s. This happened and that they agree that they during this love affair, they went to Puerto Rico and Ronnie was very drunk and it ended. And then it's also true that Ronnie recorded with Southside Johnny and the Jukes uh, on Southside's first album, which little Steven produced back then Miami Steve. 
She sang on this Bruce composition called uh, You Mean So Much to Me, which is great. And then she ended up touring with Southside Johnny and the Jukes and, and playing with the E Street Band. And it, and it ended up being a, a whole thing for her and it helped launch the comeback. According to Ronnie's book, she met little Steven before any of this happened. She met him in the early 70s, according to his book, when he was on tour with the Devels. It was before he rejoined Springsteen. It was like 72-ish. And that they had an affair and went to Puerto Rico. And all that happened before any of this. In Steve's book, it happened, whatever. But it's, it's just a wildly, it's a difference of, the chronology is all off. In it. But what, what seems to have happened, right, is she ran into John Lennon on the street who didn't hold any grudges over being told that she wasn't attracted to him uh, a decade before. And uh, they became friends again. And John introduced her to Jimmy Iovine. And Jimmy Iovine brought her into the studio where little Steven was recording the Southside Johnny album. And depending on whose story you believe, she had never met little Steven before or they had already had a torrid love affair. <laughs> but one or the other, I don't know. But, but somehow she ends up on this Bruce song. And Andy, what, what, did, what did you take away from all that about the sort of Asbury Park connection? Which she credits as she's, she says it, it, that saved her. That was the whole thing. Yeah, and that song is great. They recorded a cover of Billy Joel's Say Goodbye to Hollywood, which is, a, which is sort of a tribute to the Ronette sound. Right. So first they did this, the Jukes album in 76. She, she recorded the one song. And then the next year... They did say goodbye to Hollywood, 76. Yes. Steve remembers that that was when the E Street Band was going to break up, and basically Ronnie Spector saved the E Street Band. Without, without Ronnie Spector, there might not have been Dark Side of the Edge of Town, the River Borneo say, because she, by doing the single, the E Street Band got a paycheck and didn't quit. And they made this ver- great version of, of Say Goodbye to Hollywood. But they loved Ronnie, and they saw her as more than an oldies act, because prior to them, she was just hired to sing her old hits at these nightclub shows. But they saw her as a vital talent who, who could still be useful. And it was the start of the, this, uh, this whole new era for her. Bob Seeger, who obviously has a low profile now since retiring, just gave a shout out on the internet to Ronnie and said, and I quote, started humming a song from 1962. And I do, I do love that he's always been wrong about that. It was 1963. But I, I really do appreciate that. It's just like we were saying, a bunch of male, she had tons of male fans. Andy, what were you going to say? I think it works that in Night Moves, he says 1962. It's a song about memory and how it's kind of off sometimes. And it's it's his hazy memory of the past. And it's 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 it's, it's sort of off. But, you know, that, that, that's how the night moves. And I think it's fine. If little Stephen can't remember the three-year period in which he might have had an affair with 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 Ronnie Spector, whether it was 1972 or 1977, then I think Bob Seger can be Bob Seger's character can be excused for misremembering which year uh, "Be My Baby" came out. I love that you asked him this and settled this conversation that people have been arguing about for so many years. If you asked me in a bar at any time, I would launch into a vigorous argument that it was "Hey Baby" by Bruce Channel. I'm just so glad that you finally got the answer from Bob Seger. And it's, as as you told me once talking about it, you said you look into the eyes of that man and like there's no possible way you could argue with his memory. He convinces you it's from 1962. Yeah, no, I had to bite my lips as hard as I could and not be like, actually, Bob, you're off. You know, I, I didn't do that. <laughs> 
of course not. But that that's something, I mean, in so many ways, part of like the essence of Ronnie Spector and her huge influence all over pop history, all over every corner of pop music history, is that everybody who heard Be My Baby wanted to be her, basically. And so the whole history of pop music with people, whether they met her, worked with her, or people who like never met her, never got even like in the same building as her, but people created their entire careers just by sort of remaking themselves in her image. The most classic example has to be Brian Wilson. He's driving down the road in, in the West Coast. He hears Be My Baby on the radio. He pulls over to the side of the road to cry, and he spends the rest of his career trying to duplicate the splendor that he hears in Ronnie Spector's voice in that song. We could talk about the Stones. We could talk about the Beatles, as we have. We could talk about the Ramones, who are just like a bunch of like kids at CBGB who are just trying to generate a, Ram- a Ronettes-type energy. They even call themselves the Ramones, like they want to be the Ronettes' baby brothers. And the, the Ramones, of course hated each other their entire career. The only thing they agreed on was they loved Ronnie Spector. Patti Smith, Blondie, the entire CBGB thing was a mash note to Ronnie Spector. Glam rock, as we know it, was created as an homage to Ronnie Spector by kids like, you know, Mark Bolin and Elton John and David Bowie, who took his fandom to the the personal level, (laughs) and Brian Ferry, people who just idolized her it didn't have anything to do with meeting her or, or working with her, but just what people hear in her voice sets them off on their creative journey. Martin Scorsese in movies, just to pick the most obvious example, becomes a director by falling in love with Be My Baby. And so with Ronnie Spector, that's kind of the essence of her humongous impact and that you have a, a, a case with you know, with David Bowie or Brian Wilson or all these people creating their different musical worlds that can go on to spawn other imitators. All the way to the Jesus and Mary chain with Just Like Honey. Absolutely. Which is insane to me. I just found that out when she died. I didn't know that. Yeah, I I wrote a a tribute to Ronnie Spector on on the site and just kind of tying up all the ways different eras all had their Ronnie Spector fan letters. You know, the same year that the Jesus and Mary chain did that, Poison did that on their debut album. You know, like, and... You know, the way to signify that you are a boy in the in the Ronnie Spector worship vein is to, you know, have that boom to start your your song. And it's always it's always known that, that it's Ronnie that they're pledging their love to, not Phil. And what we saw in nineteen ninety-nine was Joey Ramone in so many ways that the purest and truest of of Ronnie Spector of imaginary boyfriends, he gets the chance to actually make a record with her that really kind of connects her finally to this world that she created in her music. It's a restless night. Beat my head against the pole. And it comes out on Kill Rockstar's records, so it's very much connected to the Riot Girl scene, which was completely full of Ronnie Spector worship. And you have the sense that Ronnie Spector created this world full of people who love Ronnie Spector, and she finally got a chance to benefit from that. She finally got to have that audience and to make music with those people. In 99, 2000, around that record, she was playing so much in New York, as I'm sure you remember. And it was, it it reminded me of just how in the 70s, there were times when she would play the Stone Pony all the time. She didn't want to headline stadiums. She just wanted to have cool rock clubs to play in, just like what she did when she was a teenager. And, it, and it, she seemed happiest when she was on stage with a rock and roll band in a club. The Ramones 
like you said, spent their whole career just trying to be as trying and almost succeeding to be as tough as as Ronnie Spector. Yeah, and the first time that I heard Amy Winehouse and saw her perform, I was like, and there she is again. It comes around again and again and again, and now it's even the hairdo. I mean, she's doing the whole thing. Yeah, Ronnie talks about that in the new postscript that's coming out. Yeah, in an interview, she talked about she, she talked about Amy Winehouse an awful lot. She also talked about Taylor Swift a lot. She was because I think she really saw in the, in an interview with I think it's an interview with David Brown and that she did might have been her last Rolling Stone interview. She keeps mentioning Taylor Swift. It's not because they have anything really in, in common other than being awesome, but w- what she saw in Taylor. And it was clear was someone who never had a Phil figure and never needed one who was her own Phil. And she was thrilled for someone like Taylor to be able to do that. Amy, I think she saw more as a, a true kindred, kindred spirit in every way down to the, you know, the tragedy. And we, we should talk about the Eddie Money thing. That's a great it. song. I mean, Take Me Home Tonight is a classic the way Be My Baby is a classic. That's part of the, the essence of Ronnie Spector is that this guy that she's never heard of, Eddie, Eddie Money, who is, I think we can fair to say, the most proudly dorky of 80s rockers. You know, like this song, it could not worked at all with like some like cool, tough street sort of guy. This is a guy who actually plays air guitar on the saxophone in the video for this song. He not only mimes the sax solo, he attempts to play air guitar on a saxophone, which can't be done. And any number of backup singers could have done this part in the song. He knows it only works with Ronnie Spector. And, you know, he calls her in her kitchen and he says, what are you doing right now? And she says, the dishes. When can we get started with whatever you have in mind? It turns out he has the song he wants her to do. And it turns out to be a song that sounds super weird on the radio in 1986. The first time I heard it was a shock and I was like, man, I can't wait to tell my friends about this crazy song that I heard that I'm never going to hear again. Clearly, the radio is <laughs> just playing it because it's, you know, Eddie Money has had a few hits before. It, it's insane that this song exists. And it, a week later, it was not only back on the radio, it was all over the radio and it's become a classic. It's never left any, at any point since. It's never been a non-famous song. It's, it's completely insane. And as you pointed out in your tribute, Rob, he at no point... She even tries to explain who she is at all. It's just uh, just like Ronnie said, and that's all we get. It's pretty amazing that way. Yes, and she needs no introduction. I mean, Bon Jovi, who was like huge at the time, he couldn't have done this song, right? Because Bon Jovi had too much cool power, star power in his own right. It, it took Eddie Money to say, look, I'm a total clod, but once Ronnie Spector sings on my song, I am, a, I am in the Ronnie Spector universe, which means I'm a star too. That transformational power is what makes the song perfect. And he basically invented the concept of the live sample. It was it was sort of groundbreaking in its own weird way. As with all episodes, we like to end talking about any money for a few minutes. It's what we do. It's just how it goes. Rob, what's your favorite non-Be My Baby Renette song? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I was going to say it's so hard to choose. It's not one tiny bit hard to choose. It's walking in the rain. I, I've spent my entire life arguing with myself about whether Walking in the Rain or Be My Baby is the genius Ronette song. And of course, it's, it, you know, it's not a choice between either or, but it's almost like a cosmic debate. It, it, it depends on my mood at any time. Walking in the, when I was a maudlin teenage boy, listening to my 
Ramette's records, I, to me, Walking in the Rain was the song I wanted to live in. That was the perfect, like, Be My Baby, you know, just the power of that song. I, I would have to say Walking in the Rain. She's singing the sad love ballad. Feels like, hey, honey, check it out. I put a thunderstorm in this song for you. She didn't know it was there until she went into the booth and put on the headphones. And of course, she had no trouble drowning out a thunderstorm because she's Ronnie Spector. Let's end it right there on that perfect note. Thanks so much to Rob Sheffield, to Andy Green, and Angie Martosia. Thanks for joining me. And that's our show for today. We'll be back next week, both as a podcast and on Sirius XM's volume, channel 106. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts if you can. That seriously is really appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.